Hallelujah. Glory to your God. Glory to your God. We bless you, Jesus. Hallelujah to you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Glory, 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 glory. Amen, amen, amen. Powerful prayer. Right on time prayer, Sister Linda, and we appreciate you. God bless you. Uh, Deacon Ernie, we we uh praying for Junior this evening. And we are lifting up each and every one of those names. Family, I encourage you to go forth uh, in your prayer time, uh, 9 o'clock each morning, uh, uh, 7 o'clock rather, each morning when you're praying. Uh, hopefully you make notes of these names that are going forward and you can continue to intercede. Uh, don't forget Friday morning from 6 a.m. until noon. Uh, we will be praying and fasting and then at 9 a.m. on Saturday. So we invite all of you to be a part of the intercessory prayer ministry. I'm telling you, when you tell us that you have a need for prayer, we pray. But there are many others that also stand in need of prayer. And one of the things that I've discovered is that even when I'm in need, as I begin to focus and intercede on behalf of others, it moves God even on my behalf. I don't pray for you because I want God to do for me. It's just the way that it is. It's the law of reciprocity, and we give God glory and honor for how he doesn't forget us even as we are lifting up others. So uh, be diligent, be committed. And we thank each of you for your commitment to prayer and to intercession. It is an important part of the life of every believer. It's, it's just as important as Bible study. And we need to study the word. If you don't know the word, you don't have a sense of who you are, whose you are, or why you are. You have no direction or purpose. And so that's why we study the word of God. Amen, amen, amen. So we welcome and greet each and every one of you this evening in the wonderful, the mighty, and the matchless name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. My name is Pastor Thomas Rich. My wife, along with me, is co-pastor Joanne Rich. She's actually the executive pastor of the church because she oversees all of the administrative things, and I thank God for her support and strength as well as for all of our members and for our friends. We have many friends who are not even in our area or not members of the church, but they support us, they pray for us. And so we bless God for all of you tonight and we give him praise and we just ask his blessing upon each of you. Um, greetings and and, and uh, honor due to Pastor Ellis. I bless God for that brother who is so committed and faithful in support of what we're doing. And he's always been a friend who would be standing by our side and uh, in our hour of need, we can call upon him. And so, Pastor Ellis, I love you and appreciate you, brother. Thank God for you. And though you may be in Dallas uh, and we're in Maryland, our, our fellowship is not broken by distance. So we bless God and we love you. And we're praying for Brother Polite this evening as well. Amen. Amen. Well, family, uh, let's have a word of prayer. 
And then we are going to get on with our teaching for the evening. Father, we give you glory, honor, and praise. For God, we recognize that without you, we are nothing. But God, uh, as Brother Paul declared, we can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens us. And God, tonight, as I go forth in the teaching of this word, I am going forth under the anointing, under the power, under the presence of your Holy Spirit, God. And I know that you are strengthening me and equipping me for this minute. So I yield for this moment. I yield everything about me so that you can have total charge and authority. Open every mind, heart, and spirit that the word that you have for us tonight will not escape any of us, but that it will build us, encourage us, strengthen us, guide us, and direct us that our lives might be a reflection of you and that you might get to glory. God, we thank you and we bless you. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen, amen, and amen, amen. Well, family, uh, we began a teaching. Today will be the fourth part entitled, Let's Explore the Psalms. We have been looking at the book of Psalms in the first lesson and a half of uh, almost the first two lessons. We gave an overview of what the Psalms are all about. What is the book of Psalms? What's the background to it? We talked about that. Last week, we began uh, looking at Psalm 90. And so, although we're exploring the Psalms, I don't anticipate that we will look at all 150 of them, but the Lord has laid a number of Psalms upon my heart, and the first one was Psalm 90. We started there last week, and we covered uh, verse 1 of Psalm 90. And so today we're going to, uh, and we, we started on verse 2. Tonight we're going to pick up where we left off last week. I'm going to drop back just a little bit uh, and, and read the two Psalms, uh, the two verses rather, that we have already explored. We're going to continue uh, completing verse 2 today. Psalm 90 verse 1 reads as follows. It says, Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Verse 2, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Amen. Amen. So, uh, verse 2, which is uh, where I said we would begin tonight, begins with before the mountains were brought forth. And I shared with you when we started on this verse last week that it was a reference to Moses and the Israelites as they were on that slow, ponderous 40-year journey in the wilderness. That It was a route to Canaan. Uh, God had promised them a homeland, a land that was flowing with milk and honey. Uh, many places and people refer to it as the promised land. But uh, although they had had a, a glimpse of the promised land, had, had discovered all that was there and how it was more than adequate for their need and that God was not promising them uh, just any old land, but it was a good land. Uh, and the reason we know that is because in the book of Numbers, he had sent the 12, Moses, under God's direction, had sent the 12 spies in. 
And they came back with a report and said, this land is amazing. They gave examples of the fruit and the produce of the land and said that this land is just incredible. However, uh, there were 10 of the 12 who said, however, there are giants in the land. And because there were giants, they felt that it was not their time to overtake the land, that, that it would be too much of a, a battle for them. And as a result, they ended up wandering, even though there were two, uh, Jacob and Caleb, who said, we are well able to take the land. These folk uh, believed the report of the 10 who did not have the faith to believe that God could deliver what God had promised. And so they ended up on this long journey for 40 years in a wilderness. God's still making provision for them. God's still providing and, 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 and keeping and protecting them. But it was a journey because they had rejected the direction that God had given them. And during that journey, many of the scholars will tell you that when you're reading verse uh, Psalm 90 and verse 2, and Moses uh, is reflecting on the mountains, they suggest that the thoughts and the feelings of awe that captured Moses as they were trudging through that wilderness journey. Uh, and when he saw the mountains on the horizon, it says uh, they suggest that he deeply contemplated those mountains. And it caused Moses to reflect on uh, an eternal truth. And that eternal truth is that God existed before those mountains ever existed. And that, in fact, it was God who formed those mountains as well as he formed all of the earth and the world. I don't know if you all are familiar with it. I, I grew up in a, a segregated school system. And one of the things that we had, all of our teachers were black and they all went to historically black colleges. And so we had black history. And uh, I'll never forget, my mother taught me this first, but then every black history season uh, in our church and in our schools, we would repeat this poem by the Reverend Dr. James Weldon Johnson called God's Creation. And I'm telling you, if you have never read it, if you've never heard of it, you ought to make a note and go and read it because it was a, he was a black preacher born in the early 1800s, or maybe late 1700s, died in the late 1800s, probably in his 70s when he passed on. But he gave an incredible description of God's creation. He did it in a poetic manner, but he was a preacher, and so he knew how to use words to tell the story about God's creation. And if you really want to get a view, Moses does a wonderful job here in Psalm 90. But if you want to hear it from uh, the, the, the voice of a black preacher, go listen to uh, James Weldon Johnson. Read through that poem. I'm telling you, it will bring tears to your eyes and it will create inside of you the same manner of wonderment and awe that I believe Moses had as they were on that journey and he saw the mountains and he said, Ever, even from everlasting to everlasting, 
you are God. In other words, he, he saw the mountains and realized that they were not an accident. They did not result from an explosion. Uh, <clears throat> it was a creation of God. James Weldon Johnson gives a beautiful description. It's probably not exactly how God did it, but you ought to read it anyhow. He said, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Listen, before anything existed, God was. And that's what Moses was referring to. Uh, the idea here is from eternity past through eternity future. That's what everlasting to everlasting means. From eternity past through eternity future, God exists independent of all of his creation. Um, that's where we left off last week. And, and tonight I, I simply want to uh, pick up by simply saying this description of Moses, in my estimation, is probably the highest description of the eternity of God that any human language could describe. I, I, I love James Weldon Johnson's version of it. Uh, I, I, I think that uh, it's worth reading. But Moses was uh, in the midst of a, a really difficult period as they were wandering in the wilderness because they had rejected God's instruction to take the land that he had promised them. And even though he was out there in the midst of all of these rebellious people who were contrary to what God had done for them, forgetting over and over again his many blessings to them, Moses, on this journey reading this rebellious bunch, saw those mountains and said, uh, you are the great creator from everlasting to everlasting. And I want you to feel that. I want you to consider that even in your difficult moments, even in your trials, even in your difficulty, our sister um, uh, Teresa mentioned a friend who, whose husband is going through and the friend doesn't have much support. And we lift them up right now. But we would simply say to all of you, including her, her friend, that uh, God is not only a creative God, but he is an involved God. He is very much engaged in this world that he created, which includes your life and my life. And as a result of that, uh, when I think about what Moses described, I realize that uh, he did the best that he could, but most of us would be, in, have, be inadequate in trying to use words to describe this great uh, uh, creation that God has done for us. Listen, I, I don't know about uh, if you guys have been paying attention to it, but I saw this week uh, pictures from this web uh, telescope that has gone much deeper into the limits beyond our universe than where human eye has ever visited before. And they're showing the, that stars are being born and uh, they're showing all manner of other things way out beyond uh, the, the, the parts of the universe that we already understood. And, and they're calling it creation. 
but they don't understand that God himself was the creator. This stuff is not an accident. It was designed by an infinite intelligent being whose name is God. We call him God. We, we also call him Adonai. We, we, we have many names for him, but he is the creative force of all of the universe, that that we know of, that that we will later know of, and that that we may never know of, and yet God has created it. Um, I, I heard somebody say that um, God started with the book of Genesis. No, it did not begin with the book of Genesis. That's what where Moses was able to start. But I believe, as, Mo, as Moses was saying here, from everlasting to everlasting, the idea is that the human mind cannot fathom uh, what we call eternity, eternity past or eternity future. We can't fathom it. And the psalmist who is about to describe uh, the fleeting and transitory state of us as human beings is directing us to contemplate the unchangeable nature and attributes of God. Man, this creation, this universe that well is well beyond what we know as a universe, that is created all by this incredible God. Uh, when Moses talked about everlasting, that, that word is figurative in the Hebrew. It means from the vanishing point to the vanishing point. Uh, you know vanish means that it disappears from view. It disappears from understanding. Uh, it disappears from our ability to even fathom it. And, and so the word everlasting in Hebrew is figurative, meaning from the vanishing point to the vanishing point. Listen, God is from the vanishing point in the past and reaches to the vanishing point in eternity future. I, I, I know that's hard to grab, but that's what eternity is all about, y'all. And just as far as you can see, from vanishing point to vanishing point, he is still God. I hope you're catching me this evening. Uh, again, uh, I'm like Moses. I'm like James Weldon Johnson. My words are inadequate for describing this understanding. We're doing the best we can with our words to help you to understand eternity or vanishing point, if you will. But the best that I can come up with for this thought is the word majestic. And when I think of God, I think of majesty. If you were to describe something or someone as being majestic, you think of them as being very beautiful, dignified, and impressive. If I tried to use synonyms to describe them, I might use the word they're grand, magnificent, impressive, or superb. But though those words might inspire awe in our thinking, God and his works are far greater than we can possibly put into words. And again, with the limitation that I have, the best word I can use besides what Moses said as everlasting to everlasting is the word majestic. He is awe-inspiring. He is magnificent. 
He is impressive, superb, dignified, uh, grand, beautiful. That that's that's all that I can imagine when I think of God and of His creation. Let, let's let's transition. We're called humankind, and as humankind, we are one of billions of God's creations and creatures even. We are, however, uh, according to scripture, we are the masterpiece of his creation. Uh, we are considered his offspring, as it were. In the book of Genesis, Moses wrote, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Uh, that's the picture of man. Uh, I believe if God made us in his image, that we would be considered the pinnacle of creation. So if you do go and view those pictures from uh, the Webb telescope, and you ought to go view them, and as you view them, I suspect you will be as awed by them as I am. And your mind, as much as imagination as your mind can carry you, much more beyond that will exist. But the pinnacle is you and me, that, that the picture of humankind or the picture of mankind that God created because he said that he created humankind in his own image. Only God is before those mountains that Moses was talking about. But even though he formed the mountains and the earth and the world, and only God is from everlasting to everlasting, but the beauty of that is that he created you and me in his own image. So uh, that's verse two from Psalm 90. Uh, verse one again, Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Man, in the Old Testament, even in the New Testament, especially chapter one of the book of Matthew, it talks about the generations. But I I'm telling you, for as far back as we can record human history, uh, the, God's creation exists so far beyond that that we cannot imagine. Then verse 2, he helps us to get a picture of it. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hadst formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. That, that's Moses talking. Let me mention this, by the way. I, I know that when we think of um, Moses, and we know that he wrote the five books of the law, the first five books of the Bible. We talked about that, I believe, in lesson one and two. But um, did you know that the oldest book in the Bible is not any of those five books, but it was written by Moses also? This is just a side note just to show you about eternity. The first book of the Bible was written about 400 years before Genesis was written, and it was written by Moses, and it's called the book of Job. Just a little bit of history and background, because I'm just trying to give you a little context about time. Man, time is hard to deal with. Time is hard to understand. Uh, we think about it in the context of a clock, but God. Uh, to God, one second could be a, a thousand or more years. Uh, and, and yet, 
Uh, we live within the framework of the best that we can understand about time. Let's go on to verse 3. In Psalm 90, verse 3, Moses said, Thou turnest man to destruction, and sayest, Return, ye children of men. Let's break that down a little bit. He said in the King James, you turn man to destruction. I, I don't forget that this text is written again by Moses, who has seen the judgment of God turn man to destruction. What do you mean by that, teacher? Well, think about this. When God's children ended up in Egypt, when there had been a famine in the, the land that they were journeying through, and he led them down into Egypt land. And while they were in Egypt, they were protected under Joseph and the provisions of that Pharaoh that was looking over Joseph. But uh, by and by, when that Pharaoh died and then another Pharaoh came on the scene and uh, even though God had led these people there, this new Pharaoh began to decide that these Hebrew folk, the Jews, were a threat to his kingdom, and they were no better than being slaves. And so they went from being a people who had God's favor in that land to being becoming slaves for 400 years under a brutal system. And, and when Moses was talking about you turn man to destruction, he saw that destruction with wicked Egypt. But listen, let's not stop at Egypt. Uh, we could point the fingers at ourselves. While we're pointing off one finger at somebody else, you got how many pointing back at you? At least three. Some folk might have more than five on their hand. But listen, he, he also saw, and this is my point, in when he talked about turning man to destruction, he also saw disobedient Israel. They were the children of God, y'all. We walk around and we will declare that we belong to the king. We are his children. But uh, among the children of God, there has been disobedience. There has been sin. There has been too much us and not enough him. And so when Moses said and saw in verse 3 that you turn man to destruction, man, we could just our minds could just begin to roam and wander and we could go all through the history of humankind and discover wickedness upon wickedness upon wickedness. We're living in a season right now where there's no value for human life. Uh, we kill people from the, the womb right up until old age. They, you can get so reach a point where you're old and they will say, well, you're no more good to us. And so they, they call it mercy killing, but they don't value life. God said, I knew you before you were formed in the womb. So he values life, but we don't value life. And, and, and God was, I'm sorry, Moses was pointing out to us that the eternal God who created all things was and is a God to be appropriately reverenced. That word reverence means feared, regarded with a special care, respected by man. That's what he means when he said that uh, God uh, created all things and he was and is a God to be appropriately respected, reverenced, and regarded. 
God takes interest, family, in the affairs of you and me, of all of human beings. And listen to this. He exercises his holy judgment. That's why in verse 2, when he said, you turn man to destruction, uh, when we turn away from God, there are consequences. And those consequences can be devastating. Uh, I've made a discovery that it's easier to walk in the footsteps of Jesus than to veer off of his path and take risk as what might be behind the door on the left or the door on the right. I've, I've discovered that when I look behind those doors, they introduce me to things that uh, I, I would rather have never been introduced to, but I veered off of the path. And only the blood of Jesus gives me an opportunity to be healed and restored and to come back. But I want you to know there are some things you cannot unsee. There are some things you cannot unhear. There are some things you cannot unexperience. However, even though Moses reminds us that God takes an interest in the affairs of men and says that he executes his holy judgment, I want you to know that the affairs of men is a critical part of what Moses was referring to because his interest in the affairs of men uh, is what caused him to recognize that we all would journey off of this course that God had called us to, and that without a savior, we would be lost to holy judgment and hell for eternity. But God's love for us got him involved in our affairs and caused him to send his only begotten son who was willing to die a, a, a a death on the cross that no human being should ever have experienced. Even then, because he was speaking to his son, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's the God that Moses was referencing when he said that he takes interest in the affairs of men. Let me just get ready to close by simply saying to you, I don't care where you have walked. I don't care what your journey has been or how far off of God's path you have been. I, I, no matter what your sin may have been, and you may have done things that you are overwhelmingly uh, overcome by to the point that you feel so guilty that you don't believe that, you're, that, you, that Christ really died for you and will give you another chance. I want to tell you tonight that the devil is a lie. The only thing is, would be blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Outside of that, he has forgiven you for your sin, no matter what it is, by the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. So when Moses said that he takes an interest in the affairs of men, look, don't you sit down, have yourself a pity party, and declare, I have messed up so bad that I am not worthy of forgiveness because the blood of Jesus is pouring from that cross yet now, even now, washing you and making you brand new. Moses said he turns the uh, uh, man to destruction, but then he went on and helped us to understand 
that he is interested in the affairs of men. And so, yes, he is a God who will execute holy, holy judgment, but he will also forgive you if you surrender your life to the one who died on Calvary's cross. His name is Jesus Christ. He is gracious. He is merciful. He is forgiving. And he is the one who on that great day, when your time come and you have to stand before that great throne, if you turn to him, he gets the privilege to present you to his father and declare, this is my sister. This is my brother. They claim me as Lord of their life and I present them to you. I, I want you, daddy, to welcome them in to the, your holy kingdom because they are now my little brother and my little sister. I am the elder brother to them. And through my blood, I welcome them into your kingdom. Family, I'm going to cut off there. I think I went a minute or two over. May God bless you. Heaven smile upon you. My goodness, I, I get too carried away. I only got through verse two tonight. I thought I would at least get through three and four, but we'll get through three and four. I, I, I don't make any apologies for getting excited about the word of God, because when we study the word, that word ought to get us excited. And every now and then it ought to cause us to pause. And maybe we get hung up a little bit every now and then on a verse or two. Uh, let me tell you something. If you really get excited about it, we might teach one verse for three months. But uh, I, I don't make apologies for only getting through verse two tonight. I, I do pray that you gain something from it. I, if nothing else, that you understand that though God will execute his holy judgment, that you have learned that he takes an interest in the affairs of men, even though we may be counted and may have always been counted among the wicked. May God bless you and heaven smile on each of you and give you peace. You can take your phones off of mute. I want to hear from you now. Let's talk about what we've discovered in verse 3 of Psalm 90 tonight. Come right on in. Yes. Yes, yes, yes.
Yeah. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, yes, it, it was. My mother taught it to us as... Oh, go right ahead, go right ahead. It was all over. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right there. What what a thought to go to sleep on. What a thought to go to sleep on. And and our young people are missing this today. That's why we're killing each other and doing the stuff we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, hey, hey. Go right ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, I was just uh, being overwhelmed at, with emotion as I was listening to you reminding us of that. Uh, James Weldon Johnson, y'all said... And God stepped out on space. And he looked around and said, I'm lonely. I'll make me a world. And as far as the eye of God could see, darkness covered everything, blacker than a hundred midnights down in a cypress swamp. Then God smiled and the light broke and the darkness rolled up on one side and the light stood shining on the other. And God said, that's good. Then God reached out and took the light in his hands. And God rolled the light around in his hands until he made the sun. And he set that sun ablazing in the heavens. And the light that was left from making the sun, God gathered it up in a shining ball and flung it against the darkness, spangling the night with the moon and stars. Then down between the darkness and the light, he hurled the world, and God said, that's good. Then God himself stepped down, and the sun was on his right hand, and the moon was on his left, and the stars were clustered about his head, and under the earth was, and the earth was under his feet, and God walked, and where he trod, his footsteps hollowed out the valleys and bulged up the mountain tops. Then he stopped and looked and saw that the earth was hot and barren. So God stepped over the edge of the world, and he spat out the seven seas. He batted his eyes and the lightning flashed. He clapped his hands and the 
thunders rolled and, uh, oh my God, I'm just trying to remember all of it. And the waters above came, the, uh, the waters above the earth came down, the cooling waters came down. Then the green grass sprouted and the little red flowers blossomed. The pine tree pointed his finger to the sky and the oak tree spread out his arms. The lakes cuddled down in the hollows of the ground and the rivers ran down to the sea and God smiled again and the rainbow appeared and curled itself around his shoulder. Then God raised his arm and waved his hand over the sea and over the land. And again, he said, bring forth, bring forth. And quicker than God could drop his hand, fishes and fowls and beasts and birds swam in the rivers and the seas, roamed the forests and the woods and split the air with their wings. And God said, that's good. Then God walked around and God looked around and all that he had made, he looked at his sun, he looked at his moon, he looked at his little stars, he looked on his world with all its living things. And God said, I'm lonely still. Then God sat down on the side of a hill where he could think. And by a deep, wide river, he sat down with his head in his hands. God thought and thought till he thought, I'll make me a man. Up from the bed of the river, God scooped the clay. And by the bank of the river, he kneeled him down. And there, the great mighty God, the almighty God, who lit the sun and fixed it in the sky, who flung the stars to the most far corner of the night, who rounded the earth in the middle of his hand, this great God, like a mammy bending over her baby, kneeled down in the dust, toiling over a lump of clay till he shaped it in his own image. Then into it, he blew the breath of life and man became a living soul. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Mm -hmm. My God. Yes. Jesus. <laughs> That's what it ought to do. I had to recite it. I had to recite it in nursery school. When my mother taught me, I had to recite it in nursery school. Then all the way through elementary school, when we did black history, 
it was one of my favorites and I would find myself having to recite it in elementary, junior high school, and always at church. We would have to recite it. Churches don't do this a lot anymore, but if what would happen if we were teaching this type of stuff to our young people? I believe that uh, we would, this world would start turning right side up again if they would get this in their spirit. Uh, we ought to be teaching it to our grandchildren. I, I, I just realized I was just convicted by the Holy Spirit that I haven't taught this to my grandchildren, even though my mother taught it to me. I got, I got two that'll be here tonight. I, I'm going to spend some time teaching them God's creation. Thank you all for reminding me. Come on, y'all. Let's talk about this thing. Moses did a wonderful job. I, I just shared with you a little bit of James Weldon Johnson, but uh, you learned about verse uh, three, verse two of uh, Psalm 90 tonight, and, and Moses using words to talk about the creation. What do y'all got to say about it? Crickets, crickets, click it, click it, click it, click it. Come on, y'all. Let's talk. <laughs> 